HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here. It's Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, and we're back to one of my favorite groups of guests. Uh, there's a place called Beer Table, and it's in Grand Central Station, one of the top beer stores in America, and uh, their crew of experts is here to, to teach us and talk about beer. So let's go around the room and introduce introduce yourselves, because uh, you guys are some of my favorite beer people. Hey, Jimmy. Uh, Megan Saxby, uh, general manager of Beer Table. All right. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. No 11, manager of Beer Table. Justin Phillips, founder of Beer Table. Founder. I like that. Gavin Murphy, manager at Beer Table and operations guy for Beer Table. Well, we, we've had you, we guys had you on last year, and we've we had you on a couple of times, and, you, and each time uh, I'm most impressed with just the, the range of beers you guys are, are selling, and, and, and you usually bring in some things that I've never had before. So, Megan, tell us that you, you kind of put together a theme for the show. Let's, let's talk about it. We did. We were scratching our heads trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about this time. Um, Noah came up with a great idea earlier this week, or I guess over the weekend, uh, to feature beers made with smoked malt. Um, we happen to have a lot at the moment, which makes me really happy. I love smoked beers. Schlenkerle holds a very special place in my heart, which is one of the oh, yeah. touchstones for Rauch beers. Um, but these are all, you know, super different. They have the smoked malt in common, but every one of them is really unique, uh, which is why we wanted to bring them. I think, you know, we a lot of times when we're talking to customers in the store, we'll say, you know, this is brewed with smoked malt. And, you know, people will ping in on that and think they're all going to taste exactly the same. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Well, even with Schlenkerle, I mean, the range in flavors, you know, for that brewery is, is you know, most people think of the really dark, you know, dark ones. And uh, last week we had a, a Hellas Martin on. So, um, Gavin, you know, t- tell us about what, what you guys brought. So this is the Threes Brewing Short Fuse. Uh, it's a photo-fermented uh, smoked Hellas. Um, super light golden lager. Um, barely wisps of, like, you know, morning after a campfire smoke. Um, really love this beer. Um, I don't normally try to bring home beers uh, that I've had before, and I've broken that rule with this beer maybe six or eight times in the past two weeks. <laughs> 
It's one of my one of my recent favorites. Great. I mean, what it, like Justin going way back to, to you know twenty years ago, people when you I think then when people thought of rock beers, they were thinking of like a bacony, like very smoked, like a dark schlankler beer. But it's not really the case, is it? Not anymore. <laughs> but I think yeah, you know, fifteen years ago when I first kind of got into beer. Um, that was my only intro was Schlinkerla, particularly like the Erbach and the Märzen uh, that were, in t- you know, super, super smoky beers. And now we have this whole big variety of things that are happening. A bunch of these tonight I haven't even had. So thanks for bringing them, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Justin said, my introduction to Rock Beer was also the Schlinkerla Erbach. And my initial perception was that's smoked beer. It was all super, you know, savory, almost meaty uh, smokiness, and the, the just the range of flavors you can get with smoked malt uh, is so much more than that. No, that's true. I mean, I, I feel that way. I, I feel like that, you know, with, that people don't think about smoked malt as, as another flavoring ingredient, you know, akin to using hops or some other, you know, herb. Um, For sure. Well, and, and I know that, you know, smoked malt is nothing new, right? Uh, but I think that brewers especially american brewers as you know everything is continuing to grow are really hitting their stride with using it and using it you know appropriately it is a really finicky ingredient and too much will instantly turn something from like savory and delicious to band-aidy and disgusting um so case in point the short fuse i mean it's a delicate beer to start with so anything out of proportion would stand out immediately and would take it from being you know very subtly smoked and complimentary to the you know natural soft malty flavors and would make it undrinkable, you know? So that's just fun to see that progression, even in the last, like, five years. Great. And how do you how do you sell this? So this is, like, the first one of, of several that you brought. Um, when customers come in, are they looking for smoked beers, or are you just offering a, a, a new a new style? I'd say the majority of our customers are not looking for smoked beers, so you do have to kind of broach the topic gently. Um and I think, you know, you have some customers who, who love the Schwanker with stuff and know it. You don't have to sell them on it. But with something like this, just have to describe the flavors, promise them it's not going to be in their face, you know, and hope that they like it. Um, but I think we've been, especially this winter, doing a good job expanding the palates of lots of our customers, introducing them to new styles. So you, you're going you're gonna to start them off as a style, whether it's a Hellas or, or, or an Ale, and then you happen to mention that there's a smoke component. Yeah, and, and this, the, especially this, the short fuse, like a lightly smoked Hellas, is a great intro to smoke. Smoked beers, it isn't meaty. It's just like this whiff of campfire, super subtle and delicate. I think another thing that helps it is the fact that it's a local beer. A lot of time, especially at uh, Grand Central, we're getting a lot of tourists who are looking for things from New York. Um, but they might not necessarily want, you know, the more popular styles. They want, might not want, you know, a big 11.5% Imperial Stout or a, you know, triple dry hopped IPA. Uh, they want something that's going to be a little familiar, but you know, take them just a, just a tiny bit out of their comfort zone while staying local. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Definitely. Great, man. Well, cheers to you guys. Um, cheers, Jimmy. Yeah. So what what other what other things have you picked out today? So there's this is from Threes. Um, you want to just just talk us through before we get to it, so we can. Yeah, sure. I think the next thing we'll crack open is going to be the Trostin from Von Trapp. They're uh, up in Vermont. It's actually the Von Trapp family from The Sound of Music. That family <laughs> came over to the U.S. and uh, eventually opened up a brewery in Vermont, which is fun. Um, but, yeah, another not-too-aggressively-smoked dark lager. Um, it's one of their winter seasonals. And pretty much every lager they do is delicious, but I especially like this one. I was excited when the season came around. So you guys are seeing more more us. Uh, Smoked beers on the market. Um, seems to me just from what you have brought already. Definitely. We were just kind of not when we, we were trying to brainstorm for what to do today, but we were uh, just figuring out, of all things, like a photo to take for Instagram recently, and we were just kind of at a loss as to what to put up there. <laughs> and I was like, wow, we sure do have a lot of smoked beers right now. I was like, well, I mean, we've got Schlenker blah, but so what else it, do we have right now? And then we actually <laughs> counted them. It was over 10, which was crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's not something, I don't know if we've ever had that many beers with smoke malt on the shelf ever. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a reflection of more availability in the marketplace and probably also some of our personal taste preferences. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're trying to, like, 
expand people's horizons at beer table and and this is this is uh, an area where i think people don't know that they're going to like this stuff but we once we get it into their glasses you know change hearts yeah i remember not even that long ago maybe even six years ago if we had a range of uh Smoke beers, they're all German. So it was like between Schlenkerle and then you could do, you know, the Helles, you could do the Meritzen, you could do the Urbach. Then you would do Special Rauch yeah. uh, from Special Brewery. But, I, you know, there weren't that many American breweries making smoke beer even five years ago, were there? Yeah, you'd see the occasional smoked porter, uh, you know, Imperial, like Barrel Age Imperial stuff that had a little bit of smoked malt to it to, you know, counter that char. But really, it's, you know, the Germans dominated it for a long time. And I think today we've got one German uh, smoked beer, uh, two American, one Norwegian, one Finnish, um, and then uh, a really crazy one from Italy. So uh, that domination is kind of coming to a little bit of an end, but uh, I think that influence is, is just spreading. Well, let's, let's keep uh, talking about this one beer. This is a totally different style, right? It's, it's a little darker. Uh, you want to talk about it, Noah or Megan? Yeah, sure. So it's a medium-bodied, around 6%. Darker lager um, with some smoked malt, definitely a little bit more than the previous beer, than the short fuse, but I think it's it's not too much to overpower. Um, goes nicely with a slightly bigger malt backbone. Just like a really nice sipper. I'm not drinking it right now, but I'm sure it's delicious. Uh, <laughs> I love this brewery. Um, as Noah said, they predominantly feature uh, or focus on brewing lagers, um, and they do a great job. Um, I particularly like this style, the base style. Um, it's like a, just a darker lager. So, again, it's going to have those roasty notes from the malt already. And the touch of smoky malt that they're using in there is just to accentuate those flavors. You know, it's not to, to overpower them or dominate them or anything like that. Uh, and it still finishes nice and crisp. So, you know, much like the short fuse that we had earlier, um, this would be another great one for someone who's interested in trying something that maybe has smoked malt but doesn't want to, you know, drink a campfire in a glass yeah definitely what about the the history of smoked beers i mean some people say that at one point maybe over 200 years ago every beer had some smoke in it because of the way the malt was killed that's what i've always heard so that's what i've always told people (laughs) i could have been lying this whole time i don't (laughs) even know i I don't think so actually i think that's i think there's some accuracy there but also um it's interesting to look at this and this is a question more for you guys because i honestly don't know um I, I still think that most of the smoke malt we get comes from environment in Bamberg, um, the maltster there. Um, so I think like the, the hometown of Schlinkerla is still the place where if you're going to, to brew any form of smoke beer here, you're going to be buying your smoke malt from Bamberg. Um, is there any exception that anybody knows about? Or One I'm probably totally wrong. I just don't know. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the exceptions are very few and far between. Uh, the one notable exception I can think of is Probably Noah's favorite recent beer is the Hemel and Ard from Demolin in the Netherlands. Um, and they're purchasing malt from, is it Brookladdy Distillery yeah. in Scotland? Uh, so it's a uh, um, uh, peat smoked malt uh, from Scotland. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I think we did not bring it today, but I know that Yep Evil Twin and Blackberry Farm out in Tennessee made a beer using malt that was smoked at Benton's, the Oh, yeah. Bacon and other that, yeah. meat producer. Oh, yeah. So I think there are some very, like, you know, niche situations where people are obtaining smoked malt from kind of cool, unexpected sources um, while we're getting ready for That's this. That's like sh- the bacon donut beer, right? <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't, this one was just a stout, but bacon donut beer sounds like that could be also from them. Um, but uh, you I'm supposed to say that. Oh, or just <laughs> Whenever you hear April 20, I'm supposed to say donut beer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, while we were getting ready to research for this uh, show, we were seeing what local maltsters, because now there are a ton of them in the Hudson Valley, which is super exciting, who and if any of them uh, did produce smoked malt. And Valley Malt uh, does offer a range of smoked malts using different woods, nice. um, which they advertise as having you know, slightly different flavor um, profiles, which is awesome. It's great to see how it's coming back. Let's open another beer. Let's just get, let's go through all these beers. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm not only thinking about what you guys brought me, um, <laughs> but for real, we ne- we've never done a, a on-air smoke smoke beer tasting before. I remember the big thing with Schlenkerle Hellas was that it's it's not made with smoke malt, but it it picks up some essence of smoked or 
right, from the from being brewed on the system that almost exclusively brews um, Rauch beers. And then I heard that they make a, a, a you can also add in like a Krausen technique where you can take some of another smoked beer and add it to a beer. It'll give it smoky flavors as yeah, well. Yeah, I've heard it both ways. The you know the Hellas gets its smokiness either imparted through the system or through Krausening. Um, I think either or both is probably accurate. Um, I mean, you really do have to look for the smoke on that one. It's not right in your face. I would say it's even a little bit lighter smokiness than that short fuse, which is pretty delicate. I don't know if I agree with that. You don't agree with that? Megan loves Ralph Beers. My my tolerance for smoke (laughs) is very high. I find the Schwanker Hellas to be a little smoky for my taste, but (laughs) just one man's opinion. It's so delicate. I've done a side-by-side with the Hellas and short fuse, and it's like... You can barely tell them. I mean, they're they're very close levels of smokiness. Depends on the season too. Like in the summer, if you have the Schlenkerle Hellas on draft and it's and it's, it's hot out and the, the beer's cold, it tastes pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's I guess that's what I was talking about is a, as seasoning. You know, it's, yeah. If if you think of a, a smoke malt as seasoning, same way you do hops, at some point you get some tolerance for it. Definitely it fills up. Does adds the mouthfeel. You know, I mean. Why else would why else would people keep using it? I mean, I, I, the Schlenkerle Hellas always actually reminds me of uh, the Cassoulet cookoffs you used to host at uh, at Jimmy's Forty Three, um, and it was just such a you know subtle smoke and refreshing beer to you know to counter such heavy rich food. And I think that was one of the things that kind of turned me on to um, one smoked beer and two you know uh, pairing uh, beer with food. Um, and it really kind of separated the, you know, Schlenkerle Urbach from the, the the lighter, more delicate things. That's a good point. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I think that's another fun thing with this range of smoked beers that we have is opens up a whole new world in terms of uh, food pairing, which maybe Megan has some thoughts about. <laughs> yeah, please. Smoke with smoke. All the smoke. Smoke with smoke. Smoke with smoke. No, definitely not all the time. Um, I've, I've been known to do that. Here and then again, but spoken like a true Texan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. The last thing I paired with a smoky beer, and it was probably like just really an over the hit you over the head kind of pairing. I think it was like chili or something like that. It's like a very obvious pairing, but it was delicious. What's the what's this one's the next beer we just poured? The third beer is is much smokier, pronounced. Is is this the famous Justin? <laughs> yes, it's the famous Schlenkerle Urbach. And this is the one when people talk about that the bacon quality, right? Usually? Usually, that's that's one of the first comments always. Yeah, smoked sausage, bacon. You know, it's a it's a meaty beer for sure. You can't really get away from that. But now you, you, you built me up pretty good. I mean, the, the progression that we did has got me ready for this. So it's not like, it's, and it's not like a mouth of smoke. You know, it, 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 it's not smoky as much as it's... What's a better term for it? It's like there's a richness to it. Yeah, savory for sure. Savory is a good word. What do you think, Megan? Because it's, it's, not, it's not like... Well, this one, the base beer, I think has so much going on just from the non-smoked malts. There's a little bit of sweetness. I think it does give some balance to the beer. Now, obviously, it's a big beer, and it's like pretty smoky. But there's a little bit of sweetness. There's a solid, bitter finish on the end. Um, so I think it's all in proportion. So you can tell that it's big, but it's not a one-note beer. Yeah. And I think something that maybe distinguishes some of the uh, Schlangerau beers from others is all of their malts are beechwood smoked, um, which we were talking earlier this week. One's maybe a, a softer, smoky character than using other woods. Um, they also make, they do make one beer that's an exception, which is their oak smoke, um, and that always comes across a little more aggressive. And it can be served in an oak cask, too. Have you had that? No. Usually it's, there's a Lent beer, Schlenker the Lent beer, that gets mm. put on some, mm. we used to have it on the bar. It would come in one cask, and it was a wooden cask. And, uh, Anyways, ex-Schlenkerle light beer. But, hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in another minute. We'll be talking more about smoke beers with the Beer Table crew on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo!
name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. All right, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thank you to our sponsor for the show, Roberta's Pizza. Hey, um, guys, it's uh, 2019. It's going to be the 10th anniversary of Heritage Radio Network. A lot of things will be going on this year. It's your chance to become a member. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. There'll be a number of tastings and uh, special happenings, including the Hall of Fame. And I think there'll be an announcement in the next couple of weeks about the first round of Hall of Famers. People have been guests on the show, nominated by hosts. There's some really cool people that will be coming up. So keep checking it out, Heritage Radio Network. So we got the Beer Table Crew, the finest beer store in America, located in Grand Central Station, and they got their experts here. And uh, they decided to pick uh, a number of smoked beers for me, which is the first time we've ever done like an exclusively smoked beer show. On so um, who wants to bring us up to speed? Gavin, you seem to be the the most the loquacious guest today. Yeah, but I don't have any beer in my cup. Oh yeah, oh, no, that's Justin. <laughs> so Justin Phillips, you know, it's, it's I know for you before you opened beer tables, you used to work for one of the importers, Beer Be United, which imports the Schlankolo. So, do, do you feel that that you have a special connection to smoke beer, or just just happen to be that this is what your oh, I was just staff brought today? Fortunate to get to work for Matthias and to get to travel to uh, to Bamberg a couple of times, and um, yeah, no, I mean that was one of the first beers that got me into beer. And just on the first segment, you mentioned that you felt that m- many of the breweries making smoked beer now around the world are, are all getting their smoke malt from Bamberg. Is that yeah, true? from the same town, not from the same place. Schlinkel is one of the is unique in that they do all their own malting. Schlinkel does their own malting, but yes, otherwise, but the, so but in, the famous in, maltster in, in Bamberg is, is Weirman, and that's where I think still most places are buying their malts. So that's a big mini specialty malt, bigger maltster, but they. Do make smoke malts, among other things. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, yeah, cheers. You want to talk about what we're drinking? <laughs> I think you could bring it, bring us up to speed on it better than I can. I'm trying to remember whose grandfather he is. It's racking my brain. <laughs> it's a uh, Father Christmas's father. Father Christmas. So grandfather father. Christmas. Grandfather Christmas. Thank you. I was like, I don't know if it was great grandfather <laughs> or grandfather. So this is a beer from. I'm going to butcher the name, but Hamburger. Um, that was perfect. You nailed it. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> called Bestafar. Um, you can check out the label. It's got like a super epic, like very old school metal looking label. Dude with like a beard down past his belly, uh, who was supposed to be uh, Father Christmas's father. Nailed it. Got it. Um, You're all over it today. Thanks. Uh, so but it's this almost is, like we almost expect to see some some smoke beers from Scandinavia. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, it just seems like fitting. Um, and this is great. This is probably one of my favorite things that we've picked up recently uh, during the holidays. I believe this is our second year carrying it. Um, we get it during the like Christmas beer season. By no means is it a Christmas beer exclusively. Um, this is just, if anything, a January to March beer. I mean, this is a beer that will warm you up when it's disgustingly cold outside. Uh, it's got a little bit of heat to it. Um, it's kind of slick. Uh, and it does have some smokiness, but the smokiness is nothing like what we've tasted yet. It's more in line, I think, with like a scotch. It's got like a little bit of like a peaty vibe going on um, and almost like an herbal character. Uh, it's got like a touch of juniper that's like a really nice kind of uh, counterbalance to that big, heavy, rich, desserty tone that you get right up front. Um, of the newer smoky stuff that we've gotten in the past couple of years, this is definitely one that caught our interest immediately and one that we are really happy to get again this year for the holidays. Um, it's a, a fun recommendation for those who are looking to bring something maybe a little bit atypical to a holiday dinner or to, you know, just like a fun dinner with friends on the weekend. Uh, it's it's unlike many other things we've had. How do you guys go about buying? I mean, how, how many beers do you have in the store at one time? Like over 400 no, no, not nearly that many. Um, I'd say on the shelves, like on display, available to, you know, immediately available to customers. Uh, at, at last count, it was about 20 ciders, six beers on draft, and about 117 uh, individually packaged beers. Um, but typically speaking, we've got about uh, maybe 60 to 65 on deck ready to take the place of things that are, are running low. So um, I'd say 
right around 200 individual uh, delicious beverages. And what's the process for, for, for buying? I mean, you've got a GM, a couple of managers. Um, who's, who's deciding which beers to buy? That's me. Gavin um, handles the bulk. So typically speaking, uh, especially with the stuff that we're drinking today. So it's your fault that there's so many smoked <laughs> beers on the shelves. I'm encouraging him. Yeah, it's it's uh, my responsibility um, to have at least three smoked beers on the shelves. Uh, more in the winter. Um, I feel like with the, the stuff that we're drinking today, it's not the stuff that's going to fly off the shelves. It's things for people looking to drink something a little more adventurous. Uh, so those ones, you know, I'm trying not to overlap uh, specific needs, I guess. Um, so something like this came through with all of our holiday stuff, which is uh, great to see. And the, the next beer that we're going to drink uh, is the um, Prekmastar Savukataya from Finland, which is fairly similar, uh, but you're going to see, you know, that juniper note just, you know, explode, uh, kind of like, you know, almost piney Christmas tree-ish. So I know that that's going to be a, an excellent fit once we're through the, you know, the best of far. Um, with the, you know, the, the threes that we started with, I do like to have uh, local options in the in the shop, but, you know, I would say... Easily 85% of what we see made in New York by volume is is IPAs. So I, those all kind of start to step on each other's toes. So when I get a chance at an open fermented smoked lager, I'm going to take that shot. So um, there's so much out there that, you know, we can make room for. Well, you have a lot more choices than just what you have on draft then too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, I... I was going to say, and, and something Gavin kind of alluded to, is it's striking that balance between giving our customers what they want and you know, what they're asking for and giving them the stuff that will you know, get them to think a little bit more about beer and get out of their comfort zone and try new fun things. I think that's what one of the things I love about, about being in this industry is just the constant, you know, the unending line of new flavors um, and beers that are coming out. It's the stuff that our customers want that they don't know they want yet. Yeah. Well, there's so much new beer info to digest on a regular <laughs> basis, and this is something that Justin and I have talked about repeatedly, and it's become even more important as the longer we've been open, that there's just so much to filter through. We do this every day, and it's a lot to keep up with. If you just enjoy beer and you want us to put a good beer in your hand, but we are to say, here's all of the options, it's completely overwhelming. So our job is to take that and filter it down and say, here's a great representation of what's happening in beer right this very second. And there happens to be a lot of smoky stuff happening right this very second. No, this is working for me. <laughs> you guys want to come to my house and do a smoke beer taste? <laughs> Just do those, Justin. I remember when you started out, you had this beer table was a, a great little beer restaurant in Park Slope. And you, it, you, you, you were doing... Uh, private parties and at-home tastings, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of private parties and at-home tastings, and we would, you know, do a little three-course dinner every Tuesday, and there was, a, there was a lot of messing around with beer and food, interesting snacks. And you feel like you really found your formula, didn't you? We're still working on it. <laughs> we'll always be working on it. Well, I, 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 really, I really do like that about you because, you know, a lot of people have beer stores. I, I still remember, like, when I think of a beer store, I, I think the reason I mentioned 400 beers is forever it was like the deli in New York had the 400 beers, the 400 beers, the 400 beers. <laughs> and probably yeah. some of those bottles were dusty. But um, I, I, I like specialty. I'm, I'm appreciating a specialty beer shop m more than I used to. Yeah. I used to really want to go in and have, like, a really good draft beer bar and the stuff that was moving and local. Yeah. And... Um, I really love what you guys are doing. So that's still one of my favorite things about the about the original spot that we had in Brooklyn was just three draft lines, and so we were turning it every couple of days entirely with you know only a handful of seats. So it was it was just great to be sort of like almost everybody's drinking the same thing and experiencing similar things in those moments. And you could really have a special moment in that spot. So we argue about that here and there as we think about <laughs> new projects and. But you had some How fun, too. How many draft lines will there be? You, you used to also take, like, really expensive... <laughs> Only one. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> seven, 750 and large format bottles and pour them by the yeah, glass totally, as well. Totally. Which was, which, which was a new approach to things back then. Yeah. You know? So, uh, this was a great beer, man. Best of far. Best of far. I like at Hand. We, we had a Stefan from Hand on in the fall. Uh, it's kind of cool thinking about all the different breweries that are out there now, too. I mean... 
What do you guys expect? Like you, I like what you said that so many of the New York City breweries are making IPAs and they're stepping on each other's toes. And it seems like just from the last year, a lot of people we've met through the show who have breweries all over the world, including Russia, are, are, are buying the same brewing equipment and, and, and pretty much making the same beer styles. Um, and that's almost like a, a little disappointing for me. And that's why this show tonight is, is so uh, refreshing. So thank you, guys. Um, can, let's keep going. Let's keep go, Megan. What are we? What are we going with? Ready, set, go. I don't know. What? I want you to go go wild on me. <laughs> All right. Because you know you're a, you got a food science background. I think you're one of the smarter people in the industry. Well, thank you. That's um, a very nice compliment. Yeah. So tell us about. You don't talk about just about smoke beers, but other things well, that this you're is thinking about. Real quick, just so we don't forget to mention it, we're pouring the Savu Kataya. I'm getting all the hard names to pronounce. God. Sweating over here. You're doing good. Thank you. Um, this we is used to say, you, before you said the last beer from Norway was the Hand... How do you say it? Handbrugget. We just started calling it Hand Brewery. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to go with that next time. Uh, so this is the Savu Kataya. Uh, this mm. is a interpretation of, I guess you could call it like a sati beer. Uh, although Gavin and I were just so discussing, so much cooler than a sati. It is. It, well, I don't know. I think sati is really cool <laughs> from like a historical sense, but we won't go down Finland, that, that right? path. We're in yeah. Finland. Okay. Um, again, smoky component to it. I think it's much breadier than any of the beers we've had thus far. It has just like a really nice kind of almost like frothy texture to it. Uh, and like Gavin mentioned uh, a moment ago, the juniper on this is kicked up, you know, ten notches, uh, which is really fun. I mean, again, this is just. If you're looking for a wintry beer that's going to just totally come out of left field, it's super wintry, but Wait, There's like a, a spritziness. Is that the juniper? I think that's what you're tasting, yeah. Um, I, I can't say for sure with the best of far, but I know this one <laughs> is uh, filtered through green uh, juniper branches, uh, and it's just stripping away a lot of that botanical nature, and it's uh, you know super apparent, especially in the finish. You know, Megan, just tell us what sati is. Uh, sati is a traditional Finnish beverage. Um, it would have been fermented with most likely what is baker's yeast. Um, the bakers in the village would have had access to a lot of yeast uh, that the common people wouldn't have. It was usually a celebratory drink. Um, and the shelf life on it is super short. From the time you begin brewing it to when you would drink it um, is two to three weeks. I mean, it's a really short turnaround. Um, so typically it's not something you would ever see packaged. Uh, we've had it once, maybe on draft, I think. We went up to see a batch of it brewed at Be United by a traditional sati maker. Really cool experience. Um, they do pass it through juniper twigs. Um, you know, there's some really specialty malt used. Honestly, maybe there was even a little bit of wheat thrown in there, but it could be mixing stories. Um, but again, it's just like such a cool, uh, old world beverage it wouldn't have been fermented perfectly so it's typically really sweet and kind of desserty and a little bit hot not perfect um but i remember that and we actually interviewed the sati maker after that event oh yeah so you actually got to go to we did it was supposed to be a really big brew day and like day of this crazy blizzard came through but i was really geeked out to see it happen so i drove a bunch of very new and naive beer tablers all the way up to Connecticut in the middle of a giant snowstorm so that we could see this brood. Did, did you go, Noah? Or? No, I think that was before my time, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even... I don't think anyone who works for us now was... It was is, about three or four years yeah. ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it took us like six hours to get home. No yeah, one was happy with that me. That was a very <laughs> cool project. So they, they had... Because the, the beer is so uh, short-lived, right? Yeah. They flew over the, the maker. Yep. And it was a, they made a special batch in Connecticut and yeah. it was to be released immediately. Immediately. To select bars and restaurants. Yeah. And I think that we maybe got a keg. It was a very small keg. Um, and I think I drank most of it myself. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, such a cool beer. Um, but as we said, it's super short shelf life. So if you're ever going to have anything bottled that is sati, it's only going to be sati style. Uh, you know, they've got to have some kind of preservative factor there. Um, and using traditional brewing ingredients to do that. Um, so in this case, it is traditional yeast. There's no wild, weird yeast in it. But um, I think this is a great beer. This is one of my favorite things, you know, in the last, like, five years. What's the name of this brewery again? It's new to me. It's a Vaka Swoman Preakmistar. It's a um, just a, a, a means, like, state-owned brewery uh, Preakmistar, which is the family name. And then uh, Savukataya is Finnish for um, uh, smoke and juniper, if I'm not mistaken. 
<laughs> you had a Finnish customer come in recently, right? And they told you like how to pronounce it. Oh yeah, where do you think I got all that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I speak zero words of Finnish outside of Vakaswam and Brikmistar Savukataya. I think you're set. Just go there and say that yeah. and you'll be very happy. <laughs> and who remembers Nokia phones? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this is a good one. I don't, we're going to take another short break because we've got some, uh, some messages to, to play for you guys, but we'll be back in another short minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's the 10th anniversary of Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org, and uh, come a member. There's a lot of cool things happening this year. So we've got the beer table crew here from uh, Grand Central Station, and we're tasting smoked beers. Uh, Matt, uh, our engineer, you, you, you've been a brewer. You mentioned that you had at one time made a smoked beer and won an award. Uh, yeah. In, in 2012, we made a... World Beer Cup award-winning, uh, we called it a smoked rye with hot peppers, so it was in as an experimental beer. But it used uh, the Brees Cherrywood smoked malt. And what, what uh, brewery was that? It was called Manzanita Brewing Company. In San Diego. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, Just gonna, yeah. I'm going to start with a conversation with that. So that, that, that's um, what Matt mentioned. I, I used to think that that's how a lot of people were working with smoked malts. They would put in, like, chilies and hot peppers and... I think that people used to in America would, were using the smoke malts to go over the top. I mean, did you, did you feel like that was what it, what it was? It was almost like a novelty. That's why people said when they talk about the Schlankler Urbach, they would say it was bacon, and it wasn't like they really appreciated the subtlety of of what this can be. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, uh, smoke and beer was a novelty, and you know, it was going in with you know coffee, vanilla, chocolate, chilies, and a twelve percent stout, and Everything was competing rather than working harmoniously in a, in a recipe. And I think, um, you know, the triple IPA West Coast IBU wars are over. The, you know, things are, are kind of coming down to craft and, you know, not craft beer, but like the, the, the art of making, you know, well-balanced beers. And I think people are seeing smoke as a more subtle ingredient and something to, you know, enhance a beer rather than just one up the other guy. That's a great point. I mean, it seems like everything to me, it's about mouthfeel. You know, it's like whether you're adding extra hops or even even like with chilies. You know, I've, I've had a jalapeno beer with just a subtle amount of chili. That subtle heat also fills your mouth. And there, and I don't know about uh, how the receptors in your mouth work, Megan. Maybe you know better than I do whether it's a little extra hop or a little smoke or a little little heat. Somehow, don't they all work on the same part of your palate? I mean, you've got receptors for everything kind of all over the place. They're just kind of overloaded in certain zones, which is why, you know, there's like the old graph of the tongue where it's like, this is where you taste sweet. This is where you taste salt. You kind of have those everywhere. Um, The more interesting thing to me uh, is that there's still so little understanding about how those receptors work, right? And like how we digest uh, you know, communicate flavors from our tongue to our brain. Like, what is the language that's communicating that? Um, it's a huge field of food science that's well beyond what I would be able to explain here. But just think of it kind of almost like a lock and key, but there's a couple different keys that could fit into every lock. So, you know, if you've ever tasted, like, I always confuse jalapeno and coffee in a beer. I think that they taste really, really similar. Um, so my assumption is that for me, my receptors for those flavors are probably pretty similar. So when either of those goes in, it tastes kind of the same. Um, you know, it's a, what's the other common one? 
uh, cilantro and what is it, dill or something like that, or dill and I don't know. Anyways, there's lots of these. Cilantro and soap, right? Cilantro and soap, yeah. So there's lots of these, like, receptors on your tongue. I mean, a ton of them, right? And so what you're tasting right now could taste completely different to me, but we both like it because it tastes good, because it's communicating to our brain that it's good. I don't know. I just went off on a huge tangent. but That's what I wanted. I know. I also think that, you know, um, there's an old psychology trope that, the sense most closely associated with memory is uh, the sense of smell. And I feel like more than any other kind of beer, smoked styles are very evocative. You know, you, uh, one beer that, you know, unfortunately we don't have right now is the um, Boson de Higgs, uh, which for me, uh, it's from uh, Hopfenstark mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Quebec. Uh, just, just It just reminds me of like uh, wet, uh, spent fireworks, you know, the morning after the 4th of July. And, you know, the Savukutaya that we just had is, you know, a campfire on a snowy night. You know, all of these things are very evocative. And I think the the, the aroma of smoke just does something to our minds, too. Caveman. I think Caveman. Justin Kennedy, our producer, is in the, in the studio tonight. Justin, I think that uh, maybe you want to work on a smoke beer book. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I like this, the, the history, going back to the history of... I. I think people talk about, you know, was pre-tech, you know, industrial brewing, did every beer have 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 smokiness to it? And Justin, you were saying maybe not, maybe that we think of Bamberg style smoke malts as the style of smoke, but do you think it could have been something else? Like, would there... If there were smoke in the malt, I'm trying to go with this. You know, so <laughs> just jump in. This is like I can't speak to that one. What was the know. first beer you ever had? I don't know. <laughs> Come on. I mean, this. I think this is a good segue for the beer we're drinking now, which is um, Adam from Hair of the Dog. Hair of the Dogs out of Portland, Oregon. They do some really great historical styles. This being one of them. Adam beers are originally from Dortmund. Um, they're a style of beer that predates a lot of the modern lagers, modern being like, you know, past several hundred years, lagers that are coming out of Germany. Um, so this would be a top fermenting beer. Um, and traditionally, the style is a little bit, is very strong. It's a little bit sweet because the yeast wouldn't attenuate. It's a bit smoky, maybe because historically they didn't have the right technology to make not smoky beer, maybe because... Gavin gives a thumbs up. I like they, I don't know, but um, yeah. So and I, and I love this style because uh, especially when we get newbies in a beer table and we're trying to get them up to speed on beer, um, Adam beers are a great style to point to and say, hey, like this is where beer was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Now think about like the progressions in technology that have gotten us to this point where we have, you know, clean, crisp IPAs. Um, you know, and you can talk about clean fermenting yeast and you can talk about smoky versus non-smoky malt and you can talk about lagering versus ales which were you know a much older uh like you know yeast for for brewing beer um so yeah i think smoke beers are great because they do connect us to really old brewing traditions no what was the beer from uh was it monarchy that you were using this as an example of yeah the monarchy makes a beer called methuselah um which is their take on an adam beer which is th- this beer, the Adam from Hair of the Dog, isn't particularly acidic, but that is a properly sour, weird um, Adam beer. And the sourness is important because, uh, you know, <clears throat> the historical aspect is, you know, it was smoky because they, you know, couldn't steam kiln their malts. It was, you know, dark because everything was kind of charring. It was, you know, and, and it was a little sour because they didn't have control over the microorganisms that were getting into the into their batches of beer. So, um, you know, with Adam beer, you know, sourness is not a bad thing. It's a historically accurate and uh, really tasty thing that I think elevates the smokiness. You know, Gav, and you guys, for, for your beer knowledge, I mean, you're all like, you're you're selling beer, but you're you're. To me, you're like the, the ultimate beer sommeliers. I mean, what what are you guys reading? You know, how can our listeners catch up to speed uh, with their beer knowledge? What oh, do you read, Gavin? Um, 
Do you read any two, beer blogs? Do you read what, two what do you, books that I would recommend? I, obviously, uh, Garrett Oliver's Brewmaster's Table is what kind of got me up to speed on, um, you know, what does what in beer, more or less. And then uh, being a, a source book nerd, uh, the Oxford Guide was just uh, huge when that came out. That was uh, one of the nicest Christmas presents I ever got and then disappeared with. Um, and, and if it, Garrett Oliver, he's the guy that should be telling us <laughs> the the evolution of the smoke flavors in beers, probably. And then in terms of you know, Next time. communicating <laughs> flavor to people, I tend to leave beer blogs because beer blogs echo beer blogs. They all use the same uh, vernacular and same vocabulary. Uh, so I've started reading more about wine and cocktails and you know coffee and tea and you know just kind of expanding you know the way I think about flavor in general. Um, I think one great book uh, that I'm going to shamelessly plug for uh, no reason at all is um, I'm just here for the drinks I believe it's called is uh, by Southern Teague um, and that one uh, is mostly about cocktails but um, it also gets into the history of spirits and breaks down you know flavor profiles in a much different way than you're taught to think about when you're you know studying and Southern's a host of the, one of our shows on the network the speakeasy oh no way oh yeah speakeasy is about cocktails and spirits on Heritage Radio Network. So now you, you know. should give that a listen. <laughs> Accidental plug. Yeah, so listen to that. Um, and then what about you? I mean, I do love, the one beer blog that I really do love is Ron Pattinson's, I think it's enough about Barclay Perkins. I'm into that, which man. Which is yeah. like... Ron uh, Pattinson with the 2015, we had a great interview with him. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. And it's all, I mean, his big thing is historical recipes. There's a lot of like deep dive research on what people were brewing way back in the day. Um, and I think that's wonderful because obviously, you know, we brought out all these smoke beers. Um, we love we love the old styles. We love to learn about the history and the tradition. Um, and he's doing a really good job putting that information out there. Great. Megan, anything that you're reading or you can recommend? Uh, kind of similar to what Gavin was saying, I'm constantly trying to look towards other uh, focuses to see how they're describing things. I think, most recently, the most wild thing that I probably looked at was a, a chat board for people who are really obsessed with perfume and how perfume is made and how they describe the perfumes and what flavors are coming from what. Um, and it was, I mean, we use the word herbal or perfumed so frequently. And I think these people would probably be like beating their head against the wall because that is such a generic <laughs> term for them, you know? So it was like, that was like a really wild and weird kind of like internet deep dive for a 10, 15 minute break just to put some new words in front of my face, you know, and that's the biggest thing we're always trying to tell our new employees is, you know, constantly refreshing your vocabulary and trying to make it as detailed as possible because you only get X amount of seconds to describe this beer to someone, especially in a place like Grand Central, you know, the, the turnover time per transaction is so quick. How can you get as specific as possible in as short amount of time as possible? So, like, the, let's pretend you've got a couple of these smoked beers out. I'm running for the train tomorrow, um, and I'm going to savor it on my ride home. What, what are a couple quick words that you would you would tell me so I could pick between one or the other? I would probably ask you, do you want something super refreshing, or do you want to sit and enjoy and savor? And once you told me that... I would say, okay, well, so the short fuse is really light, clean, crisp, easy-drinking lager with a hint of smoke. If you wanted something much richer, I'd say try the Sava Kataya. You know, it's like eating a loaf of bread with a touch of smoke <laughs> that has had juniper waved all over it. You know, just try and make it... You, you can just list words. You can be like a human listicle and list words, and that's only going to get you so far. I think you really do, again, not to totally just copy everything that Gavin is saying on this, but you have to be experiential, you know, and you really have to set a scene. Say it's like, you know, you're sitting next to a fire and you're, you know, drinking a gin and tonic. You know, just try and be as specific as possible and really get them in that frame of mind. To get back to what Megan was saying, um, especially as it regards to, you know, her you know, deep dive into perfume uh lingo i guess um so we had a, a handful of beers uh several months ago that were made with you know uh um pinot noir grapes we had a few uh with uh cabin merlot grapes and uh something that we kept falling back on was like it's very venice it's very wine like um and i went to a pet nap tasting um i can't remember where but 
they kept saying, it's like a lambic or it's like a wild beer. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> insulting to the nuances of lambics and wild ales. And that's exactly what I'm doing when I'm saying something that's like wine. And that's what kind of led me to start reading more about wine and uh, trying to, to describe the flavors rather than, if you like wine, you'll like this. That's... Uh, let me challenge you. This always has always come up, and the only, <laughs> the the best. I'm going to ask about uh, the barnyard. The, the descriptive term, whether it's used in wine or beer, barnyard, which can go in different directions. At some point, some people said horse blanket. So there's terms that are used to describe. I always felt that many of these terms came from 19th century wine terms when more people had experiences in agriculture. <laughs> you know, so you could relate to a barnyard or. And only in the, in the spring we had a, a couple of master cicerones on, and they actually were able to use the the scientific term for what that smell is. What, if I'm talking about something like barnyardy, what are some terms more descriptive uh, that you might use? Um, I think that's a great question. This is an open this room, question. This wet, is for, wet, moldy hay. You know, I've definitely said that in, before. In this room, how many Hay's of us have like smelled that. a horse blanket? <laughs> So Just me. Well, our friend B.R. Royer from Sheldon Brothers, is a, is a, she rides horses every week. So she's the one that said, well, it's not barnyard to me. It's horse blanket. Interesting. That's funny. I don't know. If it's, if it's somebody that's familiar with, like, the difference between, like, it, it comes up often with Saison's. If they're familiar with the difference between a wild fermented Saison and a clean Saison, it's that, it's that good stink. You know, it's... Uh, it's funky and earthy and mushroomy, and uh, it's the it's the best as, as far as I'm concerned. And if somebody you know knows what they're getting into, yeah, it's it's that good saison stink. If it's somebody that's um, you know approaching a wild ale for the first time, uh, it's it's a you know a fifth grade field trip to the you know the farm that's a little bit too far away on the school bus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some petrol mixed in, right? Mm. Exactly. <laughs> well, when you said, when you said, I get the, the, the stink, but when you said, you say mushroomy, that's another term too, where I'm like, mushroomy, well, you mean raw mushrooms, you know, you mean cooked mushrooms. I don't know if anyone wants to jump on that one. I mean, I think in some ways it's good. I like earthy because it's, it's pretty open to interpretation and pretty vague. And you don't want to put any negative connotations in someone's head when they're about to try a beverage that they may love and they may hate. But, you know, you, put, you say something like horse blanket or, I mean, the one that I, I love and hate is, is baby diaper. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Again, you know, what, I think that, what that, brand are they using? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly there's chemicals in there, kids. You'll right? never catch me using that one. Cloth baby, cloth baby diaper. Yeah, unwashed cloth baby diapers reused. Oh, um, but you say something like earthy or just kind of like forest floor, that's pretty open-ended and that lets people kind of project their own interpretation onto the beer you know which are you, are you barefoot on that forest floor <laughs> or not <laughs> is it wet <laughs> this is fun you guys are always taking me somewhere different um but again yeah mushroomy all these specific and because going back to wine the one thing i'll say i remember from my time with wine the one thing that that always there were i think that that wine has gone further in terms of like descriptive phrases and everything like for example i could do a blind tasting and i knew that if the white wine had this you know smelled of grapefruit then i knew it was new zealand sauvignon blanc but it was but in the educational classes they would say new zealand sauvignon blanc is grapefruity <laughs> and you know and it's, and it's this one note or then they'd be like riesling it smells like gasoline this used to be what was taught but it, it's a it's like one description for one wine and I don't think beer is like that. Um, and I don't want it to be like that. You know, I don't just say, oh, it's grapefruity. It's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, if, if, if it's that easy, then uh, I could be a massive sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. That's one of the things I love about beer. And to talk for a second about a topic I have zero, you know, understanding of. Like, yeah, wine seems to be much more structured. Um, there's a lot more, even like legislation around it um oh, that seems to be changing and beer is pretty open-ended it's kind of a free-for-all and that's a beautiful thing and it makes it our jobs harder in terms of categorizing and communicating but i think in terms of the end experience that makes it much better and then to wrap it up give me some catchphrases again for some of these smoky beers no we just opened a new one that we should all try by the way I Let's think do it. better than a catchphrase, um, I was um, chatting with a friend of mine, uh, and I can't for the life of me 
remember the brewery that she visited in Hong Kong, but it was owned by some Australian expats. Um, and she's a vegetarian and um, tried their Rauch beer. Uh, as she described it, it seemed fairly traditional. Uh, but she said it was the best beer she'd had in recent memory because it was hitting all of like the sensory receptors that she was missing out on by not eating meat. And I think that that's a, a missing niche for uh, smoked uh, for smoked beers. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. What's the last beer? It's a very, very strange one. It's a special version of Verdi brewed by Ducato. This is Verdi 200. Del Ducato. This is Verdi Italy. 200 brewed for the 200th anniversary of Verdi's birth. 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 Sure. And there's probably, is there some wine, vinous quality to it? Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is very weird. What is the base? I haven't had it yet. What's the base beer? Imperial Stout. Oh, it's an Imperial Stout with Calabrian chilies as mm-hmm. the base beer. And this is aged in, I can't remember what kind of red wine barrel. It's definitely a red wine barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But like pronounced sourness. But once again, you guys, uh, I, I with, like with smoked malt. You guys have this really great, diverse lineup of beers, and um, I just want to say, you know, kudos to you guys. Best beer shop in America. Beer table number one, Grand Central Station. <laughs> Thanks and so much, Justin Thank Phillips. You, you want to wrap it up? You know, um, we've known each other a long time. I appreciate the arc of your career, and I know it's going to keep going in really great directions. Anything else you want to say about this team you have? I'm still amazed. When you brought him in last year for the show, I could not believe the, the talent and smarts that you had in, in the room for a, a retail beer operation. And you keep elevating the game. Yeah, I just, I just like to say, like, when I come here now, it's really fun for me to just kind of sit back. I'm not a huge talker in the first place, but um, that is something that I, I take some pride in is this crew of folks, these three in particular, and then everyone else who's worked for us, um, how much they study and taste and care so much on their own and they totally do it without me at this point. Um, and I'm so grateful for, you know, their commitment to trying new things, but also like keeping track of what's historically significant and uh, just keeping balance and keeping it small and keeping it, I don't know, precious. Cheers. Awesome. And Thanks for having us. Last chance, one question for anybody <laughs> in the room. You guys are so polite. You, let <laughs> you guys are awesome. Cheers to Beer Table in Grand Central Station. New York City, guys, if you're taking the train, uh, what is it, the Metro North train? Correct. Which gets most people in out of New York who, who live in Westchester, Connecticut. Uh, that's the beer shop to go to. So thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Big shout-out to our team, uh, producer Justin Kennedy, uh, engineer Matt Patterson, who has made an award-winning smoked beer before, <laughs> uh, in- intern Dylan Hoyer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Cheers, Jimmy. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.